With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Who are we without our memory and without our context? How do we come to understand the women who raise us and make us who we are when they themselves may not know? These are among the driving questions in Esmeralda Santiago's new novel, Las Madres, the story of a group of women and their daughters strung across five decades from Puerto Rico to the Bronx. Their traumas, their secrets, their love. It has been 20 years since Esmeralda published her critically acclaimed memoir, When I Was Puerto Rican. I remember my mom insisting that I read it. So wow, to be in conversation with Esmeralda about everything from relearning language in the wake of a stroke to the cruelest feedback she has ever received. This was such a gift. Esmeralda Santiago, what an honor. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me on this beautiful, gorgeous day. When you auditioned to go to the School of Performing Arts, what was it that you were imagining for your life? I don't think that I really had a vision of my future at that time. I think I went to Performing Arts high school, or I tried to audition to performing arts because my teachers thought I might be successful in being admitted there. I was not really thinking really way beyond what was happening the next day. I just, we, this is the kind of life that we had is that we really couldn't predict our future. We couldn't really envision it. So I paid a lot of attention to my teachers, to the adults around me. I was you know, 12, 13 years old in a school in Brooklyn, had been arrived in the United States just over a year. And to hear anybody having a vision for me 
was very, <laughs> it was dramatic. It really was. And so I pretty much just like loose in Las Madres, I became the person other people told me I was. I didn't have a clue. I was still f- trying to figure out language, culture, climate, <laughs> environment. Everything was happening at once. And so for one person, or you know, in this case, two teachers who really saw something that I could not even envision is the biggest gift I've ever had in my life. There is a line early in Las Madres that stood out to me, and that was this idea that Luz, your protagonist, has experienced a slight, and the adults around her are not treating it as though it was a slight. They're actually being very convivial with the person who she feels has offended her. And you write, their deference felt like a betrayal. Can you tell me a story about a time when you felt you had experienced an injustice, but the adults around you or the people around you did not treat it as the same? I really had the sense as a teenager that the more ambitious I was, the more I was cut down by people who thought I was too ambitious. I do have this very strong feeling, you know, the way people would say, oh, you think you just want to be white, you know, or you think you deserve this more than we do. I mean, a girl group beat me up when I got to performing arts high school because they thought that, you know, I, I thought I was more than they. So those kinds of experiences were very much a part of my life well into young adulthood, and I had to find a time and a place to say, well, you know, I can't listen to this. <laughs> I just can't listen to this anymore. I cannot pay attention to that. If I'm to survive, I have to listen to my own gut. And by then I had developed <laughs> a sense of my own ambitions and my desires. I think in the case of Luz, when she's dancing and this person is being so mean, she tried really hard to build up her own confidence because he was trying to tear it down. I believe you describe the feedback in that scene as vicious. If that was not your word, then that is how it landed with me. Can you tell me about a time when you have received feedback that you felt was vicious and a time when you have received feedback specifically as a writer where you were like, okay, that feedback's never easy, mm-hmm. but that is helpful. I entered performing arts 18 months after I arrived in New York City. So I was still learning English. And so I had a really heavy accent. Plus, my English is just was not developed. And so as a result, I was not a good actress. <laughs> so the critiques were really not very complimentary, to say the least. I was not a truthful actress. Why? Because I was acting being, you know, I was always acting. They never understood that, that in order for me to just, to even to be there, I was not being myself. I could only be myself when I'm at home, when I speak my language, where my people know me. But to hear from a total stranger, a teacher, 
who does not speak your language and then talks about you in front of the class, by the way, <laughs> because this is they don't take you into a separate room, all the things that you're doing wrong. Those are things that diminished me in many ways until I learned, oh, this is what they have to do in order to build me up to be a good actress. And then I started to listen to the critique and trying not to take it personally. And it turns out that the teacher who critiqued me the most is the one that by the time I graduated, I loved the most because she knew how to make me better than when I became a dancer and then when I became a writer because, of course, you're constantly being critiqued in those fields. So it's uh, you learn how to listen and how to take what's useful and discard what isn't. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. How did you become a writer as an adult? I began writing earnestly when I was no longer dance. I was an Indian classical dancer. I was 36 years old, and I had a kid, one on the way, and I was still performing. In fact, I was still seven months pregnant, my last performance, and I realized my body just can't go <laughs> in the same way it did when I was 20 or 21. And it was a huge, it was like a death for me. You know, if I'm not a dancer, what am I really? Because until then, I had a lot of jobs to support my dance. 
I worked so that I could pay for lessons, so that I could travel, so I could do the things that I wanted to do. Once I realized I wasn't going to do that, I had to find another way. And so writing came because I was a reader. And I think in telling myself in journals that I was going through this devastating part of my life where I was no longer a dancer, but I was like a mother. I had a business with my husband and and I was like doing accounting, (laughs) all these things that I didn't, I just didn't imagine as what the rest of my life should be. I mean, of course, I would be a mother the rest of my life and hopefully a wife the rest of my life. But I just, all the other things I was doing were not fulfilling in the same way that was even a dance class, you know, forget about performing, just the dance class was fulfilling. And so by beginning to talk about it to myself in my journals, I began to see that there's a narrative. I know I have a lot of women friends and we talk and of course we share things with one another that we wouldn't share with anybody else except with one another. And the more I shared my own story and heard theirs, the more I realized I'm not alone in these questions that I'm asking myself. What you managed to achieve is beyond metrics. I mean, you come to fundamentally define a genre that had not yet been built or defined. I didn't know any better, really. I just, I, I didn't think I could write a novel, but I thought I could write about my experiences. It wasn't until the book was out, and then I'm beginning to meet people who say, oh my God, you're speaking a story that is so familiar to me, and I have been looking for a story like this, not only for myself to confirm my experiences, but also because some of them wanted to share stories like that for their own children or their own relatives or their friends. And that's when I begin to understand, oh, okay, this is something bigger than I ever expected. There's a lot of success between the release of When I Was Puerto Rican and Where I'm Going to Go Next, but I am so moved by what happens to you in 2008, where you all of a sudden realize that you're not processing the way that you had been processing. You go to the doctor, they confirm that you've had a stroke, and it really becomes a process of learning and relearning from there on out. How did the stroke change both your writing in a technical sense, but also in an existential sense? I'm a mother of two children, and when this happened, they were just teenagers. Immediately, you start worrying about your children and your husband, who has been supportive and loving throughout your marriage up till then. So I was really so much more worried about them at the beginning than I was worried about me. I was worried about my mother, who I'm her eldest child, you know. What would it be for her to lose me. It would be terrible for her. I knew that. But then the more time spent thinking about it, the more I realized I have to get better. (laughs) You know, that's that's the only option. I had to relearn how to read and write in two languages, pretty much in the same way that I did when I was a little kid or when I first came to the United States by starting with children's books and learning how to form letters and those kinds of things. I didn't have any therapies that helped me. I just did it on myself uh, because I knew 
I had done it before, <laughs> and so I can do it again. Technically, as a writer, I used to be the kind of person I, that would sit down to write, and I would write 15 pages in a day. That was easy for me. I have been always been a writer who writes these very long, bloated first drafts because I, I feel like if I don't put it all down, I'm going to forget it because the fun part of writing really is rewriting. But since the stroke, I have not been able to do that. You know, it's rare for me to write more than, you know, maybe eight pages maximum. I mean, I, that's a good day for me. Uh, most of the time, it's one or two or three pages. So it's discouraging sometimes because it's taking longer. There are times when I still feel like I do have comprehension issues. And so I lean on my trusted readers to help me to ask questions that I might have left out or to let me know that this is totally, <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> Can you rephrase that? Because I still have that issue sometimes. But, you know, I trust that I'm doing the best that I can. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. I think you are doing more than the best that you can I hope you take this as the compliment that it is intended, but I think Las Madres may be your finest work yet. Thank you. I thought it was, each character was incredibly compelling. And I think why I was so drawn to it is I, as with many other women, have grappled with this question of who was my mother? Who was my grandmother before she was mine? Mm. Before I became a mother myself, I started to ask this question but also just this flattening that happens to women when we become mothers, where in the eyes of so many people that becomes the entirety of who we are and that I as a mother now want to be like, I have all these other interests. <laughs> Please talk to me about anything other than my beautiful, wonderful children. Like, <laughs> And so I wonder for you if that, first, if that lands is what you intended, but also if that is what you experienced if it was motherhood that allowed you to experience that, or if it was something else that made you curious about the women in your life? I've always been surrounded by women. I'm the eldest of 11, but the first three children are girls. And of course, a lot of aunties and, you know, tias, titis, and the cousins, female, most of them, because the men, they didn't engage in our lives. They had their own things going on, right? So the women very often would just be together. And that was one thing that I I longed for when I left my family. I didn't get that. And so I would try to recreate it with my friendships. I think Las Madres came from a different place, although a lot of that experience is in that story. And what it is is that the more... I wrote about my own life. I wondered about my parents, both of them, not just my mother, but also my father, who was really a virtual stranger to me because once we came to New York, I didn't see him for many years. And so I asked them if I could record them 
because I wanted their histories. They were both very generous in whatever time they could set aside for me, for me to record them and to ask them preguntas impertinentes, as they would say. <laughs> I was just, these were <laughs> impertinent questions <laughs> that people don't ask other people, but because of the familiarity, I felt like I could ask them. And so the more I recorded them, the more I understood my childhood. My intention actually had been to write a biography of my parents. But then the more I talked to them about their memories, there's just one point where I said, what is it like to not have any memories? How does one remember? What does one remember? Who remembers what from your life? And who holds your memories? And in the case of Luz, her parents who pass away, her grandparents who go away, and she has no history, according to her. But of course she has a history. She exists. <laughs> and so these kinds of themes and questions were just revoloteando all over my mind. It is then an interesting choice to rob someone of memory as a young person rather than doing what I think would have been the more obvious choice, which is to write this from a place of dementia or cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's. But there's something much more disorienting about a young person who has lost their memory. Yeah. And then, you know, for me, it, it all brought a lot of emotion and questions for me. You know, when you lose context for yourself, what is your identity? This is what happened to me. I go from Puerto Rico, 13 years old, just turned to 13, and placed in a completely foreign context with no help. I mean, there were no psychologists looking at me. There was, I had to figure it out. For me, it's really, it explains a lot about what happens to us who come here or who move from one culture to another is we really, we lose our context. And all of a sudden, we have to either create the person that we're going to become or hold on to the past so tightly that you can't move forward. Esmeralda, thank you so much for this time. Thank you, and thank you for your great questions. You've really made me think a lot. <laughs> I'll be writing in my journal tonight. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Cochin Tashiro is our lead producer. Trent Lightburn mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at Latina to Latina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. Every time you share the podcast, every time you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community.
a little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.